This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Record. Okay. Let's start that. You cannot. Okay. Man, allow. Do I need a new link? Should I delete the suite? This, dude. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I'm streaming. I'm pretty sure we're live at the moment. But what I don't know is how to pull up the stream that I. Oh, here it is. Okay. Copy. All right. Stop streaming settings. Apply. Start streaming. Okay, so now we should be going live at that link in a second. This is it. So. All right. Is it working? Can they see us? Yeah. Yeah. Just wait for it. Any second now. I don't know. When I look at this on my um, on my end, it's like I don't see the video. I see the Zoom window, but I don't see the video. It's like frozen. I'm constantly refreshing everything. You, try the link that I that you have. Yeah, I just that's what I'm on. And it's not doing anything. It's waiting for. Go oh go live okay. Let's try that. All right, so now it should be live. Yep. There we go. I feel like such a boomer right now. <laughs> Can you see the video? Because right now, all I see on my end is like just white screen. Uh, it is white. Yeah, that is correct. Why? We can hear. We can. You can hear us. So yeah. I, think was... I mean, that's a good start. Like, I I want the people <laughs> to be able to hear us. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, progress. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's better than nothing. However, I am. Folks, tremendously folks, we have, disappointed in folks ourselves. we have some both technical and human difficulties today <laughs> yeah it's it's you know the two are related strongly yes. um yes. there's got to be a way to fix this and i lack the the intellectual depth <laughs> we had this work we had this working yesterday we tried to test this i, I feel know, like i feel like marty this and matt right now i'm channeling my inner marty at the moment <laughs> wait Zoom meeting. Now what? Why? I don't understand. I'm so confused. Because like it's obviously, so I have OBS set to window capture. And it's obviously capturing Zoom because I see it. Colin, this is a huge disappointment to all three people I, I know, this whole this stream is completely ruined. Anyway, guys, the current time in Moscow is 1833. <laughs> 18, 18, 33 minutes per hour or something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. 
comrade. <laughs> so we're here. We're 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 trying this out. You know, this is a new thing for us. I, we have we ever done a live show? I mean, I th- I'm sure that we have. We've been on other people's live shows, right? Yeah, we've, we've done been on other people's live, live show. shows. Is, isn't it clear that we've never done our own live show? But we they can wanna... hear us. They can hear us. Call the, this progress. This is this is progress. BTC Humanity guy, marches forward. We appreciate you because you know we we think B- BTC is going to the moon. Dude, I've got to fix this. This is disgusting. <laughs> Here, hold on. All right, you can you can see it says Colin and Ben right there. That's. Yeah. I'm so confused. I don't know why it's frozen. Zoom. Wait, what is that? Oh, no, that's not it. Okay. Zoom. No, why? Why? Why do you do this to me? I don't this understand. This was working perfectly yesterday. Uh, oh, that's well, something. Yeah, it is indeed. Something. That's your Zoom I mean, I would, yeah, I would rather, like, pull up, like, a, like a, something for people to look at instead of, like, whatever this is. Um, image. Go to sh- wait. You can share your own screen. Browse data. This. All right. We're just gonna. All right. You guys can look at. <laughs> Jeez. This is. We're now disappointing worst. seven whole people right. at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I know. Everyone is. Everyone is so glad they tuned in. Anyway, <laughs> let's um. I'll fix this next time we do this. I don't, I'm not going to do this live. <laughs> so let's move into the things that we wanted to talk about. We'll do it live. Yeah. The current time in Moscow. Right. So uh, it, it appears that Jack Dorsey lives in Moscow now. Is that, did I, did I understand that correctly? That's any logical person who <laughs> saw Jack Dorsey um, and saw his clock and saw the time that it was displaying would be able to say um, that you cannot rule out that that is what Jack Dorsey was signaling. So, you know, I, I am personally, um, I, I can't disprove it. That's for sure. I mean, you know, there, there is another perspective here though. If, if let's say, this person came to the wrong conclusion and other people maybe pointed them to another conclusion that had a possibility of being true that it maybe wasn't the time in Moscow. Do you think that person could maybe change their perspective and, 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 and incorporate new information into their worldview? No, that's absolutely impossible. Oh. Okay. My apologies. Uh, yeah. So just- it was definitely displaying the time in Moscow and Jack Dorsey yeah. is speaking to us in Morse code. It was a working theory. Right. <laughs> sorry I, I i had to try to steel man that one and i i feel like an idiot yeah it's pain what, what did we say yesterday when we saw somebody who posted something it's just in, intellectually painful or something no like it's literally like we're at the point like and all right remember the the fud that we've waded through in like the last month we're at the point where bitcoin's critics are so stupid like literally they are getting worse because the smart people have stopped criticizing it they're coming over the smart people are either coming over or they're saying hang on a second i'm not sure i'm ready to criticize this yet i've seen people get destroyed recently yeah it's it's legitimately getting worse like like what what have what have we dealt with in the last month all right let's let's recap moscow Mm -hmm. time guy energy fud energy guy like literally 
Nick Carter is boiling the oceans because he <laughs> hates the planet and he's a violent, creepy libertarian. Um, what else have we dealt with? Well, noticeably absent now is the tether fud, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that just sort of faded into the background. Mm. I mean, it was never really relevant, but like, you know, you got to milk it for as long as you can because when you're a Bitcoin like critic, like you don't have a lot of ammunition, right. you know, so you, you got to take what you can get. Well, I recently um, acquired one of the last remaining, um, uh, speaking of supply and demand and how much supply is on the market, one of the last FUD dice uh, that was available for purchase. Um, so the uh, liquidity of FUD, of, of FUD dice is, is really dropping here, the stock to flow. Um, there, there may be another edition, I'm, I'm told by, uh, by Nick, but I did managed to acquire one of the last FUD dice. So maybe I should be, should I send it to one of these journalists to help them out or? All right, so hear me out here. Okay. Imagine a D&D &D game, <laughs> except the only role-playing that happens is you're a Bitcoiner who encounters a journalist and the FUD <laughs> dice determines what FUD they throw at you. I mean, it doesn't sound very interesting. No, it, it, it doesn't. It, it sounds like it ends with a bunch of trolling. What are we going to do with these with these pseudo intellectuals? Like, how are we? We're going to have to find relevance for them. I don't think they're going to make it like as journalists or as like writers or as like speakers like they're not going to. What are they going to do in a Bitcoin world? I mean, as that, long as they're having fun. You know? <laughs> do you think they'll have fun cleaning my toilets one day? It's, it's, you might have a really fun toilet to clean. You know, the deflationary technology and automation is going to make a lot of that easier. You know, dude, I don't know. We need better critics. How do we get like, we don't have this. We need this. What if we had somebody who's super smart and rich like Chama as a, as a critic? Do you think that would be helpful? <laughs> we should invite him to a conference yeah. and pay him to come and tell us about how capitalism is broken. Dude, I bet you could sell thousands of tickets to this car. I'm sure you could. You could probably charge like $400 Ooh. and then tack on like an after party and like a dinner event. And even offer like a whale ticket, whatever that means. <laughs> and you could charge like five grand for that. People would pay it, you know, because they'd get to hobnob with weird billionaires who think that they know everything. I, I got nothing. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even with that guy. I wanted to almost go word through word through his thread. And just like literally just decimate it's it not, all. But it's I, not I, worth it. It's not dude. worth the time. Like, because the people are going to see it that care. Are, are, are either watching this stream or watching something more interesting. Right. And, and how many times, how many times have we built up like a solid um, case for not just why inflation is bad, but specifically with you and I, what happened in the seventies that, that shifted, you know, the wealth inequality and, and shifted the income distributions and has exacerbated ever since. And and Chamath comes along with like this weak ass. Like I don't even know what it is. Like it this this milky watered down. Like oh well, you know, if it was a Democrat and the Democrats came in and then the Democrats fixed it and then a Republican came in and then the Democrats broke it. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? It was very rambly. It was very rambly. Uh, and and he was like, oh, inflation peaked in 1979, and therefore uh, inflation doesn't cause wealth inequality. 
was like, uh, wait, wait a second. Are you saying wealth inequality is something that happens literally overnight from like an inflation rate of that month or something? Or, or is it possible that it's something that takes time to, to acquire? And, and, and wealth inequality started soaring right after 1979, right? So like, I mean, his argument is completely, completely BS. You know, I think we need like a new, um, like a new dogma or maybe not like a dogma. We need like a new, like a law. Um, it's, it's something like the closer you are to be, like the closer you are to the money spigot or the the more the fewer degrees of separation you have as a cantillionaire either either the less likely you are to understand bitcoin i don't know that that's exactly it or um the more likely you are i don't know do, do you see where i'm going with this well, like it's the, certainly there's, the less there's likely i am relation. to listen to you right like <laughs> yeah you know. no i don't listen to any of those people i mean like even ray dalio like i respect ray dalio a lot mm-hmm. but I'm not going to listen to his bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? He can also have fun. He will. He will have fun. I'm having tremendous amounts of fun, but in a different way. Let's talk about this meme you have on the screen because it's it's just staring everybody. In the the ETH one? <laughs> so this, so that Bruce Fenton guy who... Let's be honest. The only people who defend shitcoining are shitcoiners, right? And that's Bruce's problem. And I think Bruce is really smart, and I like Bruce a lot. But I know his portfolio is compromised. Mm. I hang out with him on Clubhouse. He's a very smart guy. Yeah, no, he's he's super intelligent. But he's one of those people that is always going to bat for shitcoining and pretending like, well, yeah, there's valid arguments on both sides. But, like, really, shitcoining is just experimentation and and genuine honest intellectual technological innovation and i'm like dude fuck off you know what's funny is he is really careful not to do that on clubhouse when he's surrounded by bitcoin maxis <laughs> of course he doesn't because he panders to his audience and then when he posts on twitter he's like well you know there's valid technical innovation happening outside of just bitcoin and so i made this meme because, you know, because I know the people that are deceived by that. They're the dudes in the middle of the bell curve. And they're like, no, ETH and BTC are totally different. And they cannot be compared to one another because objectively, they're just different. And they achieve different ends. It's so wrong. It's so wrong, it hurts. They're, they're, they're practically the same. Yeah, they're basically exactly the same, except they just... They just opened up the, the protocol to allow way, way, way more spam. <laughs> you know, you know what? Uh, somebody really smart uh, was telling me recently. I was talking about ETH, and he was like, "They, they think they've fixed the uh, the scaling problem in ETH by by uh, using the what is it the um, sharding, right?" But they haven't actually <laughs> fixed anything because they've just pushed the scaling problem into the nodes that have to deal with the sharding. So the, those nodes become even more super crazy uh, centralized. So everyone talks about how quantum computing is going to break SHA-256, but what they should be talking about is how whatever one quantum computer exists is going to be needed just to run the Ethereum node. They might be waiting a long time. It's going to be way too, br- way too busy to break SHA-256 because it's going to be trying to sync 
the tip of the Ethereum chain. Well, they're moving it. They're moving to ETH to put on really soon. Don't worry. I mean, I was I was hoping to bring up some of these charts that I had up here. Um, Dude, I know. I'm so sorry. I <laughs> I don't know what no, to do. No, for for what it's worth, we tested this yesterday, and it's window worth, capture. So. Let me add a new one and see, because like I I put zoom on here and it's still just like this frozen screen and i don't i don't know why <laughs> it's so weird <laughs> man this thing this this stream is blocked up like the suez canal yeah yeah nice segue i appreciate <laughs> that segue um so <laughs> when this happened immediately all right i mean you know me like the listeners might not know, but I, I have spent a lot of time at sea, right? Right. This is a big deal. Like when I first saw that that happened, I was like, holy shit. Like this is, this is like a picture perfect black swan. <laughs> what, what, what really surprised me is that is how long it's taking them to. to no, dude, it's going to take forever. They might, that might be stuck there forever. Like what if what if a year from now the Suez Canal is still blocked? I'm not saying that that absolutely will happen because there are a lot of people with vested interest in moving that ship. But what if they just can't? What's the uh, the conspiracy theory side of this? That's what I want to know. I haven't heard any takes in that regard. I mean, it was it's blocked on purpose. Well, too. think about it, dude. Like this is a tremendously effective asymmetric warfare strategy. Mm -hmm. However, bear in mind that the Suez Canal mostly services trade between Europe and Asia. So, I mean, I, I, certainly there are probably some groups that would have a vested interest in disrupting that trade, um, but it's less relevant to trade with the West, like in particular, like North America uh, and South America, than it is Asia and Europe. Um, I, I think I read something in the ballpark of 20,000 ships pass through the Suez Canal a year. Um, and, and if you've never worked in navigation or, or worked at sea, you wouldn't know that if you don't go through the Suez Canal, you have to navigate around the South of Africa. Right. And it takes like four times as long to do that as opposed to just passing through the Suez Canal. It, this is a really big deal. I mean, this is, this is literally a complete disruption for as long as this remains blocked. This is a complete disruption of the current global trade paradigm. My, my take on the whole thing was that this is a this is the fiat debasement of our society and our deficiencies in technology, and and that be, because we we have so much malinvestment in in so many parts of our society that that shit like this happens. I mean, maybe maybe that's a crap take, but like I don't know. I I just like it's it's pretty unbelievable to me that they haven't like like haven't gotten the thing out yet. It's not. It, a tugboat i mean just dig the thing out dude i don't know <laughs> dude did you see how loaded down that thing is like that's what i'm saying yeah they may never be able to move it <laughs> i mean grant okay great go get like an army of tugs at some point they're gonna start to literally take like sea cranes out there and and unload the thing and break it apart if they have to because the amount of money being lost worth more is than the ship it's practically incalculable i mean yeah. it's, it's not just the trade um there are ships like anchored in the suez canal waiting to go through 
all of the, like all of those ships have captains and crews, right? People that want to go home and see their families, people that don't get paid until they deliver cargo. What are like, we're talking about billions of dollars just stalled right now. And this is not like just locking down your local economy and, and making people close their barbecue restaurants. Um, by the way, if you guys haven't listened to John Vallis's interview with the Canadian barbecue guy who got arrested for opening his business, you definitely should. That was a great listen. Um, we're talking about literal stoppage of a huge amount of global trade. And maybe we can make some money off this. Can we, um, can we get Ben the Carmen on and, and start making some DLC bets over when the, uh, when the uh, canal is going to get unblocked? Right. I think we need that. I, and honestly, I am so bullish on D your, your segues are on point, by the way, I'm so bullish on DLCs. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, what's what's what is the you think is going to be like the first big use case of the DLC? Did you see my tweet the other day? It's like it's it's 2028. Your dark market um, ins insurance contract just paid you out in Satoshi's after a government unfriendly or a, a capital unfriendly locality just closed down your business operations. Um, basically talking about like dark market insurance. It's like a sci-fi, it's like my sci-fi dreaming post about uh, the future of distributed insurance protocols. It's, that's what, that's what DLCs are going to enable. It's like these weird, um, on the surface, they're not going to look like insurance, but that's all insurance is, is just a bet. I think we should probably explain this for the listeners because this is a little bit of a, it's funny because this is really the old history of what the cypherpunks are talking about with digital e-cash, but it, I hear very few uh, Bitcoiners talk about this, myself included, um, and and what you're what you're referring to, and you can kind of help expand on this. But essentially, digital e-cash um, and uh, well, I think I think digital e-cash uh, inevitably leads to anonymous forms of digital e-cash, uh, even though Bitcoin isn't completely anonymous. Um, so if you just take the paradigm that anonymous forms of e-cash already exist today, right? I mean, it's pretty undeniable um, that uh, essentially uncensorable um, anonymous e-cash leads to um, these dark markets. And one of the markets that can form is uh, this, this type of insurance that you're, uh, you're referring to, Colin. And uh, essentially you can bet um, against something happening that you, you don't want to happen, right? Or, or or take the other side of the trade if, if you do want it to happen. And it's a way for um, folks to basically collaborate on the outcome that they want to happen um, without having to know each other, talk to each other, um, right? Right, and well, all right, so let, let's back up a little bit. Consider yeah. the fact that um, insurance in the West is heavily, heavily regulated. There are very specific things that you can insure uh, in the West. And those things are highly regulated. And you have all sorts of um, conditions that you have to meet as an insurance broker, I guess you could say, um, on, on how you do it and how you meet those obligations and what the contexts of those insurances are. And it's one of the most overregulated markets in our society is insurance. Because in a free market, you should be able to 
either buy insurance or take the other side of an insurance bet for literally anything. And you cannot do that currently in the West. And the reason is because the money is so tightly regulated, right? Like people, the government just stops it. They don't allow it. However, when we have this uncensorable, unstoppable dark market, gray market currency that that operates with impunity, right? That that just cannot, is that the right word? Impunity just cannot be stopped because nobody controls it. You can organize bets on anything. And suddenly this can of worms gets opened up where um, people might be betting on the assassination of a sitting president or on um, the collapse of a nation state into socialist totalitarianism or um, something as simple as the outcome of a sports game, right? And, and you can find, as long as you can find a counterparty on that bet, you have insurance on the outcome of anything. And markets at a certain point, like if you're a sitting mayor in a large uh, dystopian city in the West, right? And there's a growingly large bet um, against your life, it suddenly becomes extremely unprofitable or risky to even take that position um, as like a mayor of a large city or, or as a president of a government. And I'm not saying this to say, oh, I think that we should be betting on the death of sitting politicians. I'm telling you that this is the reality that will emerge from this technology and it will disrupt um, large nation states to the point where they cannot even function because it's too dangerous or too unprofitable. Right. And, and, and the assassination doesn't even have to execute, right? And the contract doesn't have to execute, but the threat of it, you know, growing and growing. You know, if I'm Hitler and I'm rising to power and I'm seeing billions and billions of dollars being piled onto the bed of my death, maybe maybe I just, you know, take a permanent vacation, right? right. And, and this is what people don't understand. They're like, oh, well, that would never happen because how would the assassin ever get paid? It doesn't matter because all of these impartial third parties can be betting on the outcome. And you don't know if one of them has enough capital involved in the outcome that they may be predicting that now they have a financial incentive to participate so suddenly we, we live in this world where all the people with the most notoriety have all of the power and that paradigm just rapidly dissolves because now it's too dangerous to be somebody with all of this notoriety and power to be a lawmaker in like a large city or in a large nation state because there's too much of a target on your back. Yeah. Uh, it's, can, can they take the other side of that trade too and like, Oh, that somebody's betting that I'm out of office, right? And then I, I take the other side of that and then I get out of office. Well, and that's 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 what's so interesting about the fact that it's a free market. Literally, the market will decide um, what outcomes, you know, because someone has to be willing to take the other side of that bet, right? And like, you know, it's, it's interesting to think of, think about like boxers or, um, sports like football teams or whatever, you know, some of those historical events where um, huge amounts of money were, were placed, you know, in these betting pools and then the boxer or the sports team throws the match, right? It, it, it upsets us, right? And it, and it should, right? Because it's not honorable, um, but it happens. And really there's nothing you can do to stop it. 
um, you, you can complain about it all day long. And if it's ever, if you've ever seen it and you've kind of just been like, oh, this guy's throwing or the, the clearly like the, this is not their best performance. Um, what, what, I don't know what that tells us that there might be some interesting things to pick apart there. Yeah. I think that's really about actually was occurring to me as you were talking about this betting on the sports. It's like, does that, <laughs> does that really corrupt the games? Right. Does that, does it make them into less of, you know, a real test of, of fortitude and, and athleticism and it just turns into people profiting off of the bets? on like on the side of the being in cahoots with the players and stuff like that right i, I mean i guess you need to keep in mind that there's there has to be someone willing to take the other side of the bet so maybe all that really does is sort of expose um how much value people in our society put on these type of events when they really shouldn't right, right. because ultimately they're just games yeah. right they they hold no meaning um, and, and people build up their entire identity around their favorite sports team and whether or not, you know, they win the Super Bowl next year. Um, so maybe that it just sort of highlights, um, the, this ability for bad actors to capture that premium mm. that people in a society place on top of these non-events, right? Because when, when we start talking about people's lives, right. Or like insurance contracts, because again, insurance contracts are just bets, insurance contracts around, you know, geopolitical events or the unblocking of the Suez Canal, right? We're, we're talking about events um, where there's, there's a massively large amount of extraneous variables that go into the, the outcome of that event. And there's a whole lot of people with vested financial interests, not that there aren't in sports, right? I don't, I don't mean to say that there aren't in sports because certainly there are, um, but the, the outcome of those events is so much more relevant than something like a sports game. Right, but I was, and I was kind of joking when I did the, the, the segue into this topic, but you, you kind of raise a good point that there's, if there are all these people betting on when Suez Canal gets unblocked, somebody stands to make a lot of friggin' money from the thing getting unblocked eventually, right? And it, it's a way of like the free market just springing to action to, to make the event happen that people want to happen, right? And people put their capital down and you don't have to call anybody up. You just boom, put the bet in and it happens, right? Well, and it's important to remember too that somebody somewhere is making more money now because that canal is blocked. Mm -hmm. In some way, shape or form, they are meeting demand that otherwise would have been overshadowed by the movement of trade through that canal. And I don't mean that, that, that that's progress because like I would rather live in a world where the Suez Canal is unblocked and that trade more freely flows. But somebody, some smart entrepreneur is sitting back saying, wow, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me and my business. So there's always going to be somebody on the other side of that trade. And that's what makes it so interesting. I love it. Um, you wrote Contango Trade. I have like nothing to add to that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Well, okay. Maybe instead of the Contango Trade, let's talk about the options. The options. Did you see the tweet that I had about the options expiry? Yes. What do you think about that take? That one managed to get through the, uh, 
through the uh, Twitter. Twitter, I don't know if you folks know this or not, but Twitter has like shadow banned me from from having on Kyle over here. We we like never see each other's tweets. Um, but yeah, I, I I think this makes a lot of sense. I, I, I'm wondering, will we see this every every month? Right, Wait, like so. Sidebar on the Twitter thing. Mm -hmm. Do those little, you know, that little like notification bell on Twitter? Yeah. Does that do anything? Because you're the only person I have notifications turned on for, and I it doesn't do anything. <laughs> well, this, I mean, this proves the shadow ban, right? Um, it does every single time I turn it on for somebody because I'm like, oh man, I want to see all of their tweets. I end up turning it off like five minutes later because like some people just tweet far too much. And I, I start have it getting turned on for you, and I see nothing. It's, <laughs> I never see your tweets, dude. At Jack, and I only please. follow like 300 people. At Jack. <laughs> like what the hell? Twitter hates me. It's fine. I really don't care. Well, it's funny because I'm such a, like, I'm, I'm a pretty big shit poster. And I don't think I'm shadow banned because my tweets get generally like a decent amount of engagement compared to yours. Like you and I could probably tweet the exact same thing. And we have pretty close to the same amount of followers and you'll get like 17 likes and I'll get like 200. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I, maybe maybe I, my ideas are just so so dangerous, you know. You're way too put together. The algorithm had to censor you. It's like the the other guy. They're like, oh, he's like some weird clown avatar. Like, let him reign free. But that other guy, he uses his real name. Maybe Twitter it, it detected my system clock is on Moscow time, and it was like, nope, kibosh. <laughs> the algorithm speaking to you in Morse code, Ben. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, all right. Wait. So I, I interrupted that. We were talking about the options. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you started off because I mean, you wrote the tweet. All right. <clears throat> so, up plebs. no, well, so originally, all right. So let me start off by saying that I was wrong. Um, my original take was that the options were going to be a non factor. But what I did not take into account, um, was all of the people who wrote those covered calls potentially having a vested interest and in making sure that they did not get called out at whatever their strike price was. If you don't know anything about options, essentially all I'm saying is that we had something like $6 billion in open interest on these options. And for, for, from what I understand in the most, for the most part, all of those options were covered meaning that there was like collateral posted and you had a strike price. Um, and if that option executed upon expiration, because these are European style options, they only execute at expiration, unlike Chicago style options which execute at any time. If you posted, like let, let's say you had like 10 friends and all of you had 10,000 plus Bitcoin and collectively you guys had written $500 million worth of covered calls. You do not want those options to execute. You're only trying to capture the premium on those contracts as a form of yield, right? You don't want those contracts to execute because if they do, you now lose that collateral to the market or to whoever purchased these contracts. And you have to go back and buy more Bitcoin if you're long-term bullish. And that means you're going to have to buy it at a higher price um, after those contracts execute. You have to, generally speaking. As I say to the rich people, instead of saying having have fun staying poor, I say have fun buying and higher, right? Right. But but what you're what you're getting at is that if you sell these options 
and nobody takes the other side of it, it doesn't execute or they don't, they don't care to take it, um, then you get free money, right? You're basically selling the option to do something and nobody took that option. So right. That's you, ideal for you're you. You're capturing yield on the premium for that contract, the right to buy the Bitcoin at a certain price in the future. So now we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who sold one of these things and the price has risen quite a, quite a, quite a lot since the contract was opened, right? That's what you're getting at? Yes. And, and so the biggest criticism on this take that I saw on Twitter was people saying, well, you know, why would you do that? Like you would have to really be convinced that you could move the market, uh, you know, to, to sell a bunch of Bitcoin and drive the price down just for options expiry. Like, don't be naive. Do you not think that there's people in that situation who, like, I'm serious, like, put yourself in the shoes of five or 10 of these whales that collude with one another to try and move the markets. And they say, hey, we've got, you know, 500 million or a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin in these options contracts. And I don't want to get called out on this trade. Like, you guys need to help me push the market down right now. It's worth, if you have a billion dollars in Bitcoin and covered calls, it's worth it to sell like a thousand Bitcoin a day to push the market down so that you don't get called out of that position. You have to um, put the magnitude in perspective. And I am not giving this, this is a description. This is not prescriptive. I am not saying that if you have a bunch of Bitcoin, you should go and do this because it's tremendously <laughs> risky. Yeah. I just think that this is what was happening because the selling pressure stopped yesterday when the options expired, like completely halted. And and they can stand to lose some money on on creating that sell pressure as long as it's less than that premium that they'll capture from the options not getting called. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, it it's almost a no brainer. Um, and this is actually, I was talking to my dad about this because my dad knows a lot more than I do about these types of markets. And he said that this is actually why that it used to be that um, commodities were traded on European style options. And they used to call, I forget exactly the way he described it, but he said that they used to call um, the day of the option expiry. They had like a name for it because it was so relevant to volatility. Everyone knew that like when the option expiry was coming up, there was going to be a ton of volatility. And it was for the same reasons, right? Because as a, as a large player in this market, you have a vested interest in not having your, um, options called out if you're long-term bullish. So, so do DLCs fix this? <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, yes. However, my bigger question is why are so many of these options written European style? Um, I don't know enough about options to answer that question. And I tweeted Preston Pish and it probably got buried in his mentions, but um, why, why are all of these options contracts European style? Because that was what I was getting at with what my dad was telling me was that the market, the equity market and the commodities markets moved away from this model yeah. for this exact reason. To dampen the volatility, they moved to these contracts that can execute um, at any time rather than on a predefined date. I mean, my initial take on that is it's pretty, pretty easy, but it's, I mean, uh, service level. So it's like, obviously those, those markets are pretty centralized, right? And uh, it, it's probably a lot more beneficial to folks that are extremely wealthy and that have the ability to kind of do some of the trades that we were talking about and some of the manipulation to hold those trades that we were talking about. Um, it, it probably benefits them more 
um, on the European style rather than the Chicago style. So, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so I, I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this. I'm just sort of thinking out loud. I wonder if the move to Chicago style options was like a regulator thing. Um, you know, like some impartial allegedly party stepping in and saying, Hey, like this is causing a lot of disruption and I I'm okay with this. Like I like seeing this happen, right? Because those, those people are taking a tremendous amount of risk. If they really, if this, if I'm correct in my analysis of what happened in the last week or two, if that's correct, um, they're taking a tremendous amount of risk doing what they're doing. Even if they come out profitable on that trade where they're selling Bitcoin to drive the price down to protect their options interest, that's a, that's a huge risk. Like if you're a long-term bull, if you have like a billion dollars in Bitcoin and you're selling your stack to try and drive the price down, like in this environment, you stand the potential to lose a lot of your Bitcoin. And yeah, you're like, you're, you're going to get the market value for that Bitcoin, but you're going to have to buy back higher. Like if, if you're a long-term bull and you want to protect your, your Satoshi value, if you're using the right unit of account. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a few things that are going to make this scarier and scarier for them. One is that we've continuously seen the bounces on exchange coming down all year. And I, you know, I, I've talked about this with you before, but I, I don't know if I've talked with the clubs about it, is that essentially <laughs> this is the most bullish indicator I've ever seen. If you, if you look at balances on exchange over time, a chart, um, and there's, I mean, there's stuff on Glassnode. Um, it's been going up for like the last four years, right? It's just, it's just a straight line up. Um, and we have for the first time seen this year it going down and it seems to keep going down. So this, this goes to, um, you know, what something you were talking to me about a while ago, which is the float. This float is just diminishing and diminishing and <laughs> this gets scarier and scarier for these folks that are trying to manipulate this. And, and I think Bitcoiners are hugely discounting this. Um, we're like, all right, so here's an example. I was listening to Willie Wu on Jimmy Song's podcast yesterday. I love Willie Wu. I think like he's so smart, but I think people like Willie Wu might be trapped in this old way of thinking um, of about these four year cycles in Bitcoin. And I just don't see it right now. Like if this trend continues, this supply squeeze on these exchanges continues, like we might potentially see like this escape velocity thing that, that Preston Pish always talks about. Like, Yes, there, there will be like a, an eventual drawdown, right? Where the market sort of self-corrects um, after a, a major bullish overshoot. But we might not descend back into this three-year bear market thing, right? That, that um, sits around and, um, what's the word? Consolidates into the next halving. Because my theory is that these halvings will become less significant moving forward simply because the magnitude of each having is less than the one before in terms yes. of its impact on the block subsidy. But there's, I mean, there's another piece here that I think is really important that we didn't really, I mean, I think we were last, last cycle we were talking about, like the next wave will probably be like high net worth individuals. And I think that's happening, but we're seeing um, institutions and corporations coming in. And I think for the most part, institutions are going to be rebalancing a lot as it comes up. That is and, true. And what that does is it dampens the volatility, just like Michael Saylor was talking about uh, in the summer of last year. He was saying, as 
<laughs> as he was getting in, he was dampening the volatility because he was waiting until it would come back another 5% or another 10% or whatever it is. And then he'd get another chunk. He had, he had made his decision to get an allocation and he would get another chunk. And the same thing's going to happen. So that's on the on the upside, right? But as, as it comes up and it goes down, he gets another piece. What I'm saying is on when, on, when we start getting near that top, right? These institutions are going to say, our, our position went from 1% to 30%, right? And they're going to divest some we of We have to rebalance, right? Yeah. But what we don't know, and this is what you can never predict, and this is why I think the stock-to-flow model is so stupid. <laughs> you cannot predict the Michael Saylors, right? They come out of nowhere. And l- let's say we mm-hmm. get to that point, right, where we have like this crazy ass blow off top and we're sitting at like $750,000 Bitcoin and these institutions start to rebalance. Well, we're already hearing rumblings of nation states coming into this game, right? All that has to happen is some Michael Saylor, and I'm using him as like a personification, like some Michael Saylor comes in and starts scooping up that rebalancing Bitcoin that's coming onto the market. And suddenly like this narrative of, this four-year cycle. All I, I, I just don't want to see, um, and this is all like speculation, right? I'm just theorizing here on like what might happen. I don't want to see these plebs who have been stacking hard for years try to trade around this because oh no, That's it, this is not literally a ticking time bomb. And I've said this for a long time. Like Bitcoin is just a ticking time bomb. It's it's a the fuse has been lit, and when this thing blows. It's going to be unlike anything anybody has ever seen. Yeah, the fair value today of Bitcoin is easily $700,000, if not a million dollars. Today, in four or five years, when the technology is better, the fair value is easily already like two, three million coin, right? The, the upper range for what Bitcoin can be, which is like probably close to like a 10 or 15 year horizon, if you're, if you're really... If you're honest about how quickly Bitcoin evolves and changes, because it doesn't take so much fucking time, uh, and and there are some upgrades that we need to do, like Taproot, right? Um, that the fair value it probably approach asymptoti- asymptotically approaches those upper ranges of what Bitcoin, five million a coin, ten million a coin, right? So I mean that's that does seem like a long horizon, uh, especially when you consider Bitcoin time. But, but I'm saying in, in, you know, in this cycle right now that people are talking about, um, people are calling tops of like 200K or something. Or even <laughs> like right now, they're already calling tops. They're like, okay, 55K guys, see you in four years. Um, it's, no. it's quite possible that it gets near, you know, some of those really high numbers and, and falls back down to like what its fair value is today, which is probably close to a million dollars. because Right. No, and, and I could be totally wrong here. Like, like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to make, to say like what I'm saying with confidence, because yes, uh, maybe we see this having cycle replay for the next four years. Um, you know, we, we go into like this long distended painful bear market and consolidate and have like these horrible drawdown days and just consolidate into the next having. And then we see it happen again. And everyone's like, Oh, see, I told you Bitcoin wasn't dead. Um, but I just, I don't know, man, I feel like with each having that goes by the likelihood that these cycles continue to repeat themselves as they have in the past, um, diminishes greatly. I, I mean, I, I kind of disagree a little bit. I, it, it's, I've heard, you know, when Preston Pish talks about his, uh, 
his escape velocity thing. I think when he first revealed it, I think he was talking to Pierre at the time. I think that's also the one when, when he was talking about uh, Bitcoin go to a trillion dollars and then Pierre goes per Bitcoin, right? <laughs> I think it was on that same <laughs> podcast per Bitcoin, right? Um, I, 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 I hear it, but at the same time, I think with the level of institutional adoption that's, that's not only already happening, um, but it's going to happen over the next year, I really think people are discounting how much they're going to dampen the volatility because, you know, let's just say Apple, right? Like I think Apple's kind of next on my, over the next year or two, I think Apple's going to do what Tesla did and, and dip a toe in the water. But let's say they dipped a toe in the water to the tune of, you know, 20 billion, right? Cause they're, they're working their, uh, their cash is like for over 400 billion uh, at this point. Um, that's what they could make an allocation with. Right. So let's just, let's say they put 10% in that's $40 billion. Right. And then the price does basically what it's been doing for the last few years. And that position goes from 10% to like a 70% or something crazy like that. Cause I think plebs have seen that happen to their own portfolios this year, right? Things like that. And all of a sudden Apple's like, holy shit, dude. Like uh, that's, that's a lot, right? I think before they get there, they start divesting a little bit and they, they invest in something else. Uh, um, I don't know. Well, this is what I appreciate about Pierre because he always says, or at least I recently listened to him and Ben on Preston's show. And at the very end, you know, they were talking about more than just DLCs. Um, Pierre's like, he caveats what he says. is like, well, I'm a Bitcoin permable. Like I always think Bitcoin is going to a million dollars tomorrow. And I identify with that greatly uh, because that is what colors my mindset, but I'm trying to be rational in my analysis and maybe set aside my perma bullishness a little bit. Um, but I don't know, man, like this is just, we, we're, I, I still feel like we're discounting um, the exponential nature of this to a large degree. And that's why like my, I, I hate to do it publicly, but I have recently is like, I think within the next 10 years, you'll easily see 10, 20, $50 million Bitcoin because we're going to continue moving exponentially as the adoption of this continues. Like, the, the, the 50 million figure like basically requires that we start entering some like quasi hyperinflationary US dollar environments. We're already I, there, dude. <laughs> like it's literally happening right before our eyes. And it, and it infuriates me that people still aren't paying attention to it. Yeah. Well, and, and let's, let's recap for the, for the folks, because I think a lot of people misunderstand what hyperinflation means that there's, there's all sorts of metrics about, Oh, doubling per month or per or doubling time per year or something. That's the, the easiest way to categorize hyperinflation is a loss of confidence in the currency. And I saw a tweet the other day that said, what if, uh, what if central banks around the world, you saw central banks announce that they um, were, were divesting part of their gold position to take on like, um, I don't remember if it was a Renibi or, or, or they were taking, or they were divesting from their USD dollar position and they were taking on Russian rubles or something like that. And they're like, that's what corporations are doing with the dollar today with Bitcoin. <laughs> they're divesting part of their dollar holdings into Bitcoin. I mean, that's happening. There's there's actually a partial loss of confidence in the US dollar today by at least some institutions. Well, we're, we're already at the point too where they're just giving it away. <laughs> they are giving dollars away. I have, I think the central banks or the federal government or whatever you want to call it airdropped like $10,000 on me this last year in aggregate. They're giving the money away. 
Yeah, and then the the expert. I mean, we we are seeing exponential increases in the the supply of money, right? Um, and know, exponential get- price increases in particular commodities. This is like I, you know, I I get really heated when people start talking about no inflation. Like it's just <laughs> so stupid. Like well, go the- look at the price of lumber in the last six months. It's insane. And. I mean, it's, we know it's in the assets, right? I mean, worst, worst economic depression in, in 20, 20 or 30 years easily. And the stock market's at all-time highs, right? That's it's hyperinflation of asset prices. I had an interesting conversation with my roommate last night. Um, he collects video games. He has a really impressive video game collection. And it, it's what he's passionate about. It's what he loves. Um, and he, he was basically telling me because he had just went out and bought like some limited edition video game console yesterday. And I was like, man, what are you doing? Like just buy Bitcoin. And he's like, no, like you don't understand. This is basically the same thing. And I'm like, no, no, it isn't. Like you don't understand. You're, you're buying assets. And I understand that your assets will probably nominally do well. Like I get that someone will probably be willing to pay more for that in five years or even tomorrow than you paid for it today. I get that. It's the same thing as like what all of the, you know, 18 year old kids that you work with who are talking about buying stocks on Robinhood are doing. They're they're just speculating that like someone will pay them more for that in the future than they paid for it today. And I get it. Nominally. Right. Nominally. But those (laughs) things are just basically acting as quasi monies. Right. There's one good trade for a sounder, harder money, right? And, and that's like the world's way of thinking about saving is so distorted and nobody understands it because no one understands money. This is what the asset owners are discounting is the demonetization of the moneyness of their assets. Exactly. That's, that's coming. And maybe that's not quite happening yet because if you compare the bucket size of Bitcoin as market cap wise versus like the that, stock market. That's a like, tail distribution for sure. Yeah. Like we're talking about a fat tail distribution on, on the demonetization of assets in terms of their monetary premium. That is not going to happen tomorrow. But it is going to happen long term relative to bitcoin right if you're pricing your things in this hyper inflating dollar yeah you're you're getting rich um but what you don't understand is that bitcoin is hyper inflating faster than anything else and your your relative purchasing power is decreasing despite the fact that you look like you're getting richer on paper right so the the inflation happens in the dollar but the monetary premium is actually coming out of it at the same time that that's something that's hard to see when you're denominating the US dollar, which is why you hear Bitcoiners so often talk about, you got to denominate in Bitcoin, bro. Um, can I bring up another piece of FUD that uh, I actually heard an amazing response to? Uh, last night on uh, Clubhouse, I was listening to Jimmy Song talk. I, I've completely converted into like Jimmy Song is like one of my favorite Bitcoiners by far. Dude, I told um, you, he's awesome. I I, I used to be like, favorite. oh, he like, he teaches courses, whatever. That's like awesome. And that's helpful. But like, I, you know, I guess I just never really heard him talking. No, he, dude, he's like one of the only um, public persona OGs that didn't lose his mind. And he is like a super humble, like nice guy, like very smart, has done a lot for Bitcoin, like more than most people probably even realize. Um, I, I love Jimmy Song. Jimmy Song yeah. is like just an, an idol. Like people should look up to him. And I don't mean like worship him. I just mean, you know, he's a really good guy. And like, he, he doesn't get enough credit. 
and listen to the way that he talks through problems and stuff. But I mean, I mean the dude spends like probably 30 hours a week asking, answering noob questions, right? And it's amazing because when he gets on stage, um, you'll see like uh, all of a sudden there's a flood of people that want to come in and ask. And like six out of 10 of them are asking Jimmy directly a question. And sometimes it's a stupid question. And sometimes it's a, it's a really intelligent question and, and he's really good about it. But he answered a question that uh, I've I've seen a lot of hubbub on Twitter about recently, uh, which is the mining empty blocks question, right? Are you familiar with this mining empty blocks uh, discussion? Um, Lay it out for us, just so for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So instead of instead of governments banning Bitcoin, which is another <laughs> another big one right now, uh, and we can get into get governments banning Bitcoin, but um, we we also did a whole podcast on that. Um, but so you have um, governments come in instead of instead of banning bitcoin they're gonna they're gonna attack the network right oh the, well the, the the china ccp can just confiscate all the miners in china and they have 61 you know, percent of the or 63 percent or whatever so they have enough to get 51 percent. they get 51 percent of the mining hash right discounting completely how difficult a task that is to actually execute on a physical sense go to all these places where the miners are uh and by the way this is i'm all stealing this from jimmy's arguments here so it's none of, none of mine uh and he's like you know and, and these miners like seasonally have to move the mining equipment all the time so they know exactly how to pack it up and move it right they, they literally do it as part of their job but when the rainy season comes and stuff so as soon as the government starts seizing all these miners, and by the way, uh, from what I've heard, the uh, the Chinese um, like a political system at like a localized scale is pretty fucking corrupt, right? So like even when the, when China was banning mining in certain jurisdictions, like the miners were just like just giving the uh, the local politicians a little kickback, and then they could start mining there, right? So can you imagine like trying to confiscate um, miners from one of the biggest countries in the world, population wise and uh, size wise, right, and getting all these so you managed to do that great good for you ccp and then they start mining empty blocks which means that they're mining blocks without any transactions whatsoever um in theory they can actually pocket the uh the the block reward there still which is nice uh the block subsidy sorry the block subsidy um but they they don't get any of the fees right and what this creates is a censorship situation where um you know it's yes, it's, it's possible that some might, if they don't have like 70% of the hash power, they only have like 51%, then the other, the other half of the network can still probably get blocks in and those miners are going to be incentivized and get more fees. And so there is that battle going on, but you know, what, you know, what if they start getting like 60% of the blocks or 70% of the blocks, then at that point, they basically, um, they can build on blocks quicker than people can like, uh, catch up to them. And they just get to make all the blocks and their censorship, right? And then Bitcoin fails, right? Did you know Bitcoin then fails? Did you know that? <laughs> so it doesn't, right? Obviously, because there's literally something in Bitcoin Core called disconnect block. So all we have to do is get on Bitcoin Twitter and be like, "Hey, everybody, there's CCP is uh, mining empty blocks, and they have like a you know a, a ten block chain here, and then they've literally censored the entire network. Everybody just disconnect all their blocks." And then all of their, their blocks and all of this effort that they've spent doing is literally worthless to them because everybody just ignored them and started back at the that previous block and then we just keep going. <laughs> and I have to I have to bring up Nick Carter's absurd proclamation that should this event happen, that Bitcoin would fork to a GPU algorithm. Like, come on. Like Nick, I respect you intellectually greatly. I, I love your work, dude. But that not is such happen. a bad take. It's not gonna happen. I mean, 
And maybe if he said, I mean, I'm not familiar with that particular writing. If, if he said it could, I, I'll, I'll give you that credit, but like, that's not going to happen. No, he, he said it like, this is what would happen. Obviously we'd, we'd fork to a GPU algo and China would have all of these worthless ASICs and we'd be rich over here with our GPU miners. And it's like, dude, just no, not like, that's happen. not, no, like that's back. That's moving backwards. We yeah, don't want that then it's just going to move back to FPGAs and then to ASICs again once we figure out the new algorithm. Right, right? And, and then now we're back where we started and it's yeah. just nonsense. So I have to interrupt our conversation here because while we've been having this this little podcast, this little live show, mm-hmm. um, this little live show that's just an image on your screen, mm-hmm. sorry about that, um, Jordan Peterson just retweeted a mention of our website. Nice. And I'm I'm thrilled. I, I this is this is why we you know we're shilling them softly. We've been shilling them soft. You know, dude, come on. We we were in the footnotes of an investor letter of a billionaire Norwegian oil tycoon. Our meme site was in the footnotes. Come on, like what what is this timeline? This is so crazy. I love, we keep getting invited on like podcasts and live streams every once in a while. And and people always want to know like how we came up with the idea for the site. And we're like, no, no, you don't, we didn't come up with it. We literally just put a bunch of charts on a site where we're like, oh, like here, here's a bunch of charts that like explain whatever I'm arguing about Twitter on. Right. And then like, it's blown up into, uh, you know, billionaire, <laughs> billionaire uh, capital allocators using it as justification for um, them moving towards Bitcoin. And uh, getting shilled to sitting senators and um, the, the traffic. <laughs> Talk about the traffic, Colin. No, well, like it is a meme. Like we know it's a meme. Like totally, 100% a meme. Like we get it. Like it's it's not nuanced. It's literally a meme. Like it's, we, we've spent endless hours talking about how it's it's a meme, right? And But there's fundamental truth to it. And that's why people gravitate towards it because it, it literally shows, it, it points a finger at the fact that the emperor is naked and people, they cannot touch it. The, the FUD against it is so weak. They're like so many of the arguments that we see all the time on a regular basis of like people trying to dismantle the narrative. They're like, oh no, it was actually microprocessors or no, 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 it was actually, um, neoliberalism or you know it's because we've had so many of those darn republicans in office like give me a break dude the, dude, the and, traffic on that site is insane like we the, had almost we had over a million hits the, those people should scroll down to the the uh the political uh there's, there's a chart on there that has like the um divergence of political um the, the different sides of the the red the the left and the right diverging post-1971 there was like a convergence there was like a people coming to some kind of consensus on sound money right like people getting less like extreme and, and polarized and diversified this sound familiar to you uh yeah that, that all started in 1971 also oh and by the way we got braj in the uh, chat saying he keeps 1971 in his profile thank you braj we appreciate you buddy <laughs> we have we've had like there's um at least one or two accounts that like their name is wtf happened in 1971 just to like bring more attention to wtf happened in 1971 like they're not trying to like copy us. They're just like, yeah, that's the most important chart. <laughs> well, remember, remember like our first big mention, it was Murad in <laughs> some like slideshow presentation that he did for oh, yeah. like a Bitcoin conference or I don't even know what it was, but he just like 
threw it up in there and was like, oh, and I really recommend the site WTF happened in 1971. Uh, displays a lot of the things that I'm talking about, you know, clearly for you to see, like, go check it out. And it was the, just like a passing mention in like an hour and a half long lecture. Um, and, and we thought that was such a big deal at the time. We were like, oh my gosh, Murat is talking about our website. But it, you can't deny it. Like, and, and that's, why, that's why that website continues to just blow up and like, <laughs> Literally, like the Eric Weinsteins and Jordan Petersons of the world are talking about it because yeah. there is an undeniable fundamental observation in the data on that site. Something happened in 1971. What? You know, discard all of your narratives. Something, something fundamentally revolutionary happened that changed everything. It changed the way the whole world worked. And all of the narratives are so flimsy, right? Like the only one that makes sense is that it was the money. And you can't, you can't, like people try to discount it. Like they, they try so hard. They try so hard to make it fit whatever their worldview is. That's what I love about that site, man. People use it to try to fit into their narrative and it just looks ridiculous. And all they're doing is spreading our site that red pills people whenever they try to fit it into their narrative. And I, I feel like we should shout out um, Pierre Richard and Malik um, on Twitter, who there was a conversation that we kind of um, went back and uncovered that happened previous to our launching of the site um, that, that I think Malik was the first one who said WTF happened in 1971. And, and we, we were kind of already on that same page. And like right around that same time, I wrote that um, inflation uh, thread that's that's pinned to my profile. And, uh, and I think it was like around that time that it was happening. And like, you can see the first time that I tweeted it in response to people in that, that thread, because people kept going, oh, well, but it was, you know, it was the unions or it was women entering the workforce. And I was like, yeah, but why is there such an abrupt break in so many things in exactly 1971? WTF happened. And I was like, it's, it's fun to go back and look. Right. And, and we've taught, we've touched on that before. Like you, you have to, that yes it's a meme and like i say it's a meme and and there's all this nuance <clears throat> you have to understand like ben, how much how much time ben and i have spent looking into some of like the extraneous data the women entering the workforce thing was like a really gradual trend that started in like the 50s and no, continued 40s. all the way up until like the 90s it started in the mid 40s <laughs> and it was gradual yeah. it was really gradual so like to to say, and, and I, you know, I can't like explain this to people who aren't willing to go dig into the data themselves. So when they're like, oh, it was women entering the workforce, clearly that's what happened in 1971. I know they're wrong because I've looked at the data yeah. and that and just we, isn't true. Dude, we have so much more data and charts and like things that aren't, that don't have the inflection point in 1971 that tell more of the story because, you know, like Colin said, like, you know, he and I had had so many discussions. We basically, basically spoke every day for like a year or two before we even launched the site um, about things related to it, um, not knowing that it would lead to the site specifically. And um, once we were actually starting to kind of get the idea of putting these things together and throw them up on a website, um, a, a lot of the charts we found originally just in our research about monetary history and how money broke, right? When money died in, around 1971, but also 1913 and all that crap. Um, but then like once we had gotten a few of these, we were like, wow, this 
actually makes a lot of sense. And there's a thesis here that money died in the debasement of society, like commenced in full force, right? It was like uh, opening the floodgates of the debasement of society. And then we started to say, hey, I wonder if there would be an inflection point in this data. And, and sometimes we'd find it and sometimes we wouldn't, but when we did find it, we'd add it to the collection. And like it would, we'd have to go back and forth and like understand, you know, the, the logic and first principles behind whether or not these things would, would be things and where else we could we find the inflection point. And sometimes that helped. And also, shout out to all the plebs that have you know sent us uh, charts along the way because we could you know we couldn't have gotten it to such a big thing today without them and i think that's a good point too because <clears throat> you say there's all these extraneous charts I, i've used the word extraneous way too many times in this stream and i don't even think i'm using it correctly here <laughs> there's there's all these charts that we have <clears throat> that tell more of the story but they don't show like a dramatic inflection point in 1971 <clears throat> but they're critical to understanding how the answer is obvious and we can't put them on the website because we have to viciously protect the meme because yep. the meme is what keeps this going, right? Like I can't put a chart that shows a gradual increase in women entering the labor force. Because people think it's like, oh, they're saying that's the reason. It's yeah. Like, no, no, like so we dumb. have to viciously protect the meme, <laughs> even though that chart would give you a more well-rounded understanding Absolutely. of how it was the money. If you were smart enough to think from first principles, right? And if what the chart was telling you, right? And that's why you have to like, you know, subscribe to the Bitcoin Echo Chamber live show, which apparently is a thing now, to to hear our more nuanced conversation around um, the the things that we can't put on the site, right? Because they don't fit the meme. Because all at the end of the day, like the the only reason that we're keeping this going, the only reason that we talk about it, the only reason that we care, is because it is waking people up. Yes. And how many? You know, how for, for years, like libertarians and, and the Ron Pauls of the world, like stood up on their on their soapboxes and was talking about how bad the Fed was and how we need to end the Fed. And nobody listened. Nobody cared. Nobody gives a shit. But like if you can point a finger at something and say, hey, like crazy shit is going on over here. It doesn't even matter if at the end of the day, um, if people actually understand what's happening. All that matters is that they buy Bitcoin. Like we don't have to make the world understand monetary economics. We don't have to get them to understand that it wasn't the Republicans or it wasn't the Democrats or it, that it wasn't like, a, you know, a nuanced entry of um, women into the labor pool or it wasn't the invention of the microprocessor. They can think that till they die. I do not care. All that matters is that they buy Bitcoin. And, and, and I really, once, once we actually figure out how to uh, not just display a single meme on the screen, folks, we, we will go through some of that data and show you because we haven't had a good, um, like a platform, a way to talk through that and show it because it wasn't, it wasn't really viable on, when we go on other streams, we talk about WTF 1971 because they want to see the charts and the explanations behind that. And we, we, we would love to kind of dig in and really show you guys like, you know, what are, what the supporting evidence to our thesis is that we can't show up there. So I definitely plan on doing that in the future. Well, do you think that that's enough for day one? I, I think I could probably, I don't, I don't have anything else I want to add. Other yeah. than, um, other no, we, than we went way more, <laughs> way more deep on this one than I expected. Yeah, this is good. I, I all think right. all 10 people watching. Are yeah, I was going to say all, all nine people in the live show have really enjoyed this. We appreciate you guys though. We do. Cause uh, <laughs> You got to bootstrap it somehow, right? It's like bootstrapping Bitcoin. It's not easy, you know. There's a lot of risk, right? But, but the payout, you know. <laughs> I uh, all I know is that it, like, 
my Twitter is literally blowing up and I'm having severe dopamine withdrawal. So I've got to go deal with this and, okay. and figure out whether or not Jordan, Jordan Peterson has messaged us. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening guys. Yeah. And uh, we will, we will try to do this again next week at the same time. Um, ben. Same Moscow time, same Moscow channel. <laughs> yes. Right. All right, Colin. All right. See you guys. Later, everybody. Let's see if you can figure out how to stop the stream. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I got that part. That was good, man. Is it still going, though? No, I just ended. I'm listening to it. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's done. <laughs> oh, nice. You stopped it right at the right time. I got the last word in. Haha. <laughs> That was that was that was a really good stream. I, I think that we can make this a thing. Maybe we should be because when you were like, I'm so hungover, I was like, all right, man, I gotta get on this level. And I put, I pulled out my vape and I I had a little hit. So maybe we should I am be a little suffering right now, dude. Maybe we should be a little bit more loose for these. Uh, <laughs> maybe that'll let the juice. Don't tell flow. me that I, I have an alcohol problem. <laughs> I literally I've had like four cups of coffee and I had to put Jack Daniels in each one. Ooh. Yeah, no, this is I had to like. It's going to be a long day for you. No, it's going to be horrible. Hey, but I had to do that to get through this. Yo, so I just want to show you this because uh, it might be useful for us, um, but I have to like figure some shit out. But I, I figured out how to do this. Right? And I can do this. Dude, I, what, where am I supposed to be looking at right now? So I can, I have like a soundboard, right? All I so see you, is you like. You, you can't hear it? No. Oh, that was from my... Uh, I was putting my headphone near the, the mic. I thought you could Oh, hear it. no, no, no. I couldn't hear it at all. You can't hear anything now, right? Uh-uh. Oh. I don't think Zoom... Second. I don't think you can make let me, Zoom feed let me try desktop this. audio. Hold on. Let me try this. You ready? I'm going to turn this down a little bit. Let's see this. Can you hear that now? No. No? This is mic injector. So if if so, hold on, hold on. Let me try this. Yeti, Yeti. Let's try this. Let's try this. No, nothing. No. So if, if that's something that you want to do in the stream, what yeah. has to happen is.